So our message this morning from James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21, it is uh, and was previously entitled Godly Speech. So as we look through and uh, look at this word this morning, I pray you would uh, keep that in mind as we think about what it means uh, for godly speech. Uh, this is We're going to come to a part of this passage which... Um, in a little while, <clears throat> is some of the, the controversy or fuels some of this idea that there was, um, between Paul and James, a great difference in theology. Uh, there's a, a little bit of a confusing section that we'll read that we'll work to try and clear that up a little bit. Uh, and hopefully we can see and continue to understand, as we have so far, that there's harmony between uh, Paul's preaching the gospel of grace, salvation through faith alone, and James preaching the importance of works. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for that and we will remember that. But we begin with verse 19 this morning. Know this, my beloved brothers. So James is, is getting their attention. This is a, a little bit of a, a formal, this is a, a, a an exclamation point, if you will, and say this is this is an important thing that I'm about to say. And then he goes on to say, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we'll look first at being quick to hear. And I think this is an important thing for us to deal with, we wrestle with today. I think, generally speaking, we are not quick to hear. We are not skilled listeners. We aren't people who are able to maybe have a conversation with someone and really tune in on what it is that the person is saying and understand what they're trying to communicate to us. Oftentimes when someone is speaking to us, we are holding in check the thing that we want to say as soon as they stop speaking. So we can pound on that and get our idea out or we're thinking through what our response is going to be to something that they said and not fully paying attention to what's going on. Our society today and our culture today is has been trained and a lot of it is the media we we take in uh, visual media it it does something to our brain if we have too much of this visual stimulus visual input it kind of dulls our ability to take meaning from the things that we hear and take meaning from the things that we read it it sort of dulls our our senses in a way that makes it more difficult for us to understand what it is somebody's saying when, when we're, we're reading or when someone's speaking to us. A lot of people my age that I talk to, they say, man, I can't read anymore. I used to be able to read voraciously and I would read a lot and, and, uh, and very quickly, but now I can't sit down. I can't hold my attention. And a big part of that is how we've trained ourselves, um, because of the media that we take in, but also we're super busy. Everybody is busy. Everybody in this room is too busy. I guarantee it. I'm too busy. I have friends that want to do stuff. I can't. I'm too busy. I don't have any time for that. I, I would have to give up something that I'm already doing. And we've let ourselves get to that point where we're, we're so busy that when we come to uh, information that we need, we don't have the ability to fully digest it. And to fully process it. So we we need to 
uh, as James is exhorting his hearers, these are Hebrews, these are for the most part Hebrew Christians, we need to, to be able to be quick to hear. Now, at the time, James is one of the earlier books, there wasn't, there weren't volumes of New Testaments. Nobody had the written New Testament. The gospel was all orally presented. So James's exhortation was, you know, if, if, if Paul comes through this church or Timothy or Titus or Tychius or any of these different people come through and preach, you need to be quick to hear this gospel that they're presenting. This is the way that God is, is speaking into you. So you need to pay attention. Have big ears. I always heard you have two ears and one mouth, and we need to use them that way. And that's, that's true. James is saying, listen to what they're saying to you because it's of utter importance. Be quick to listen. Be like uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.10. Speak for your servant hears. When we come to God in prayer, are we eager to dump on him? all the information that we have? Or are we able to come to him and say, speak, O Lord, your servant hears. Do we Are we able to have a quietness in our spirit? Can we come to God with a stillness where we aren't pushing an agenda, where we aren't looking to move on to the next thing, but where this moment is, is critically important and we listen? Do we come to the Word of God that way? Do we say, I have 15 minutes to read. How much can I physically get done reading in 15 minutes and then we're gone? And it's better. I'll tell you, it's better to process a small amount of of the Bible than to blast through and read as much as you can. And it's good to read. It's good to have a a narrative sense of the Bible. It's good to to read through an entire chapter. That's good. But we also need to have the ability where we can look at a small piece and let God deal with us. One of the, the other failings of us not being quick to listen, when you aren't listening well to someone, you express to them how important they are to you. Your body language, your your anxiety, your your desire to hurry and get out what you want to say, those things express to that person that, you know, I'm not that important to them. The things that I'm saying, they don't really care. So we have to take care to listen when we're in conversation, but we have to take extra special care to listen to the Word of God, whether it's being preached, whether we're, we're listening to a sermon, Uh, whether we're listening to a teacher, whether we're reading the Word of God, or whether we're in prayer. We should take notes. That helps. It helps us when we take notes. Even if you never look at it again, your body processes it differently if you write down notes, if 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 you make note of things that stand out to you, we process those things better. So James says... Be quick to hear. Be eager to hear. Hear first. Make that a priority. When something important is being said, open your ears and hear. 
be slow to speak. How often do we receive information and it sparks something in us and we immediately want to respond? I think this is another part of our culture where we're very responsive, we're very reactive. You know, we look at at memes, right? They immediately, they're designed to immediately elicit a response. Oh, it's a picture with some words. The words give the picture maybe a different context than we uh, than it originally had, and it's designed to elicit a response from us. Everything, everything is designed to elicit a response. I know when I remember when vines were a thing. Man, I can't watch a thirty-second video. That's too long. Give me six seconds. It's all I can take. It's designed, six-second video, to elicit an immediate response. In writing, we learn, man, if you don't catch readers in the first page, really the first paragraph, they're probably not going to read your book. This is a reality. We don't have enough of an attention span because everyone wants to speak. Everyone wants to be heard. This is... This is a flaw of our flesh, that our desire is for our kingdom to be perpetuated. Our desire is that people is for people to look at me and say, wow, Jack has something smart to say. Jack's an intelligent guy. I, Jack's funny. I want to hear what he has to say. This is the desire for each of us. Human beings, the, our favorite word is our name. We're very self-centered in that way. So James says, listen, don't talk, listen, be slow to respond. We need to think when we hear something. We need to digest it. We need to consider all the implications, especially in such a a divided political scene. When somebody who has different political views than us makes a statement, it's very easy for us to clap back. Very easy for us to respond immediately because we have a pre-programmed response. But what if we just listened and considered? Try to empathize. Try to stand in their shoes and understand and say, I see their perspective. I see their, their thought. So if we should do that to someone that we disagree with, how much more should we do that when the word of God is presented? So we need to listen. We need not to respond right away. And we need to be slow to anger. Seems like maybe a a strange thing where it says, you know, listen, don't reply. Be slow to anger. But what is typically, if we respond to something quickly, typically what is their response? It's an angry response. We have an opinion about everything. And self-righteous anger is a sin. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's Ephesians 4.31. Colossians 3.5-8 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, 
The wrath of God is coming. In these two you once also walked when you were living in them, but you must now put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We aren't to have an anger that is self-righteous. Now, can we, can we have anger over things that anger God? We should. There are things that, that God is righteously angry about, and we should join Him in those things. But when we respond in anger over something that offends us, then it's sinful. It's sinful when, when, when it's our kingdom that is being attacked and we respond. Proverbs 29.11 says, Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds, quietly, holds it back quietly. So James exhorts us that we need to, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if our anger is on the surface and is very easily accessed, that tells us something about our spirit. We'll look in a little bit about what Jesus says about the things that are in our spirit. Let's look at verse 20, uh, James chapter 1. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Very interesting. There, there are a lot of different ways that James could have phrased that. But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our anger, we often can think of as the same as God's anger. We equate us being angry with God being angry when it's, a lot of times it's righteous indignation. A lot of times things that we are quick to get angry about are based in sin that we have. We can, we can trace back this anger to a, a sin that we harbor. And that's, that's, that's a very hypocritical thing, but it's the reality of our sinful flesh. And that's, that's why we see a lot of people, we see pastors who fall, who preach against sexual immorality, living sexually immoral lives, people who are vehemently angry about certain things. Typically, they they experience or express those in some way in their own lives. Anger produces an ugly, unrighteous life, and most anger is self-serving. If we look, if we had a spreadsheet of every time that we got angry and what it was about, it would be an embarrassing thing for us to look at. It would be a shameful thing. Um. A lot of times it's a response to a slight, be it real or imagined, against us, against our person. So many of the things that I have gotten angry about over the years, I imagined. They weren't really there. And again, our our media makes it difficult. Have you ever misunderstood something somebody's texted you? Didn't understand the context? Didn't understand where they were coming from? Just reading it from your own mindset, you got a different perspective of what was what was said typically we get angry when some aspect of our lives seems out of our control this gets worse the busier we are when our time becomes more of a premium 
Um, it's easier for us to get frustrated about things that waste our time. Or it's easier for us to get frustrated about things that don't go the way that we think they should. Having children teaches you a lot about your own anger issues. And anger is, it demonstrates an immaturity and it demonstrates a lack of faith. So if we, if we're constantly or frequently getting angry, we need to examine ourselves. What's the, what's the root of this anger? What is the cause of it? Why am I getting angry over these, these silly things? Um, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. You can go and, and find all kinds of texts. I've got three texts from uh, uh, Psalms and Proverbs that I'll share with you. <clears throat> the first one is Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what we're supposed to emulate. Who has more to be frustrated about than God? Have any of you ever worked against God's plan? Have any of you ever rebelled against God in your heart and and chased after things that you really wanted? Who's more justified in being angry than God? No one. But it says, O Lord, are a God, you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is what we should emulate. This is how we should be. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. We can diffuse angry situations. We can, by our own attitudes, um, diffuse those bombs. We, we can neutralize angry situations. We can do it in our homes. We can do it in our works. But we also can do it in our own heart. Our perspective, our understanding of who actually is in charge, our perspective and understanding about whose kingdom it is that we actually are serving, and our understanding that God's plans are not thwarted. These things, we can put aside our, our anger when we, as we look in at verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we can put away these things. We can put away the filthiness. We can put away the wickedness. And this helps dispel our anger. This final verse, it has two parts. You probably picked that out when we when I went through it. Um, <clears throat> the first thing we are to do is to put away this filthiness and wickedness. Can God and wickedness dwell together in you? No. God and, and God has no part with evil. We, as Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. We can't 
chase after our own kingdom and expect to be blessed by God in the same token. We can't hold on to bitterness and anger and have a healthy fellowship with Christ. This is a good measurement. If we look at our own lives and say, man, you know, my heart isn't what it was. My my relationship with Christ is suffered, has suffered. It, it isn't, we don't have a closeness. My prayer time isn't a, a sweet time of fellowship with God. It's a duty that I am performing where I'm bringing my grievances to God and I'm asking for his blessings and and I'm acknowledging his sovereignty over all things. It's where we do that in a mechanical, when we do that in sort of a mechanical sort of way, and when we look and we say, well, our, our, our Bible reading is, is pretty dry. It's not a thrilling thing. It's a, it's a tedium. It's something that we do because, well, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. That indicates a separation. That indicates a coldness. And we all have seasons in our spiritual life. We all have times when, when we're really on fire and when things, uh, when we're, we're really close with God and then we have seasons sometimes where we have coldness. And during those times, we need to go back and examine. Do I have anger? Do I have bitterness towards somebody in my life that is poisoning my relationship with Christ? Is there wickedness or filthiness in my life? that I need to be putting to death? And the answer is yes. We're constantly to be bringing these things forth and putting them to death. <clears throat> this is what Jesus says, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Um, this, is a, this is what Jesus says about anger. <clears throat> and <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is trying to fail on me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're, uh, while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be, in, uh, be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So we, we can't live with this bitterness against our brother, and this doesn't mean our biological flesh brother, this means our neighbor, those of us who we walk with, who we, we live with, we can't harbor anger and resentment and walk with God. Our sacrifices, as he said, they're not acceptable. If you go to make a sacrifice and you, and you realize that you have anger with your brother, have bitterness, leave the sacrifice. Go and reconcile and then come back. Because this anger, this filthiness, this wickedness that we have in our hearts, these things separate us from God. 
The second part of this verse says for us to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is one of the passages that I think kind of adds fuel to the fire, the idea that, that Paul and James were at odds. It seems to say that if you receive the word of God, you can save yourself. This is what's inferred. There are a lot of, a lot of commentary, commentators look at this, and because it was a mainly a Christian audience, uh, they assume that James is saying, that, well, you can lose your salvation. And the, the word, kind of the hinge pin that, that sort of trips him up is, it's often translated that last word as save your soul. So we have to look at that word and say, what does this word soul mean? Does this mean my, my everlasting spirit? Does this mean my, my eternal being? That this is what I'm saving? Um, if, if I receive this implanted word with meekness? Well, the word that actually is used is uh, physikos, which is a Greek word. It's kind of like the root for physician, but it means life. In, the, in, in a literal way, it means your breath. You, you check someone to see if they're breathing to know if they're alive. This is your, your vital life force. So as we read it that way, maybe it's a little bit confusing. Where it says, um, with meekness the implanted word was able to save your life. Why does that make sense? How why would James be talking about receiving this word to save your life? Well, if we go back to what we started with, there was no New Testament gospel. There was only Old Testament. And the idea that we see permeate all of James, these, these concepts, they come from Old Testament teaching. And there was a really strong connection between sin and death. In the Old Testament, if you if you sin, it brings about death, and this is the the idea that uh, James is working with, likely when he says, um, "You can save your life, you can save your soul by receiving this imparted word." Receive the word of God and escape the consequence of sin, which we know. The wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death. So there's a, a strong connection here between James saying, listen, if you live your life, as, he's, as he has been saying in the, in the other parts of this passage, if you live your life as an angry person, if you live your life as, as someone with, who doesn't put to death these filthy things in your life, who doesn't flee from wickedness, then you're going to bring death on yourself. And there, there are several different uh, places where uh, some of you have got have fallen ill and even have have fallen asleep or have died, and this is in relation to those who who aren't keeping faith. They aren't keeping with the word of God. They aren't hearing and taking the word of God. So this admonition from James is. You need this imparted, implanted word in your, of God. You need to continue to feed and water the seed. You need to continue to grow or else you're going to die. And he's not talking about your, a spiritual death, 
where if God saves you and you come into the fellowship, but you don't really invest in this word, well, he's going to take it back. What he's saying is you can't be a part of this fellowship if you aren't uh, willing to hear this word. And how are we to hear this word? We're to hear this word with meekness. First thing I thought when I read this was um, Charles Barkley used to say, the meek will inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. That was kind of his mantra. And what does the word meek mean? Meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means quiet, gentle, submissive. A meek person is not an aggressive person. A meek person is not an angry person. We are to be meek before the Lord. Why? Obviously, God is all-powerful. All salvation originates from God. Everything good originates from God. I can't come to God and say, I've got something new that you haven't thought of, something to try. This is going to make things better. We don't come to God under those circumstances. We always come meekly before God and humbly before God because he's God. So we come meekly to receive the implanted word. Well, what is meant by the implanted word? The word of God is not natively in us. We are not born with, as some would say, an island of righteousness, a little sliver of God within us that we can that we can turn to. That's not the reality. The reality is, what's the first thing we do when we're born? Straight away. We cry. The very first thing we do is complain. Our very first instinct or act is to say, I need attention. This is me. This is about me. And it really doesn't change a lot. Our methods get refined. We cry in a different way. We learn to manipulate. We learn to, to complain. We learn to, to use power to get what we want. But it all starts there. And this is the nature of man. The nature of man is to say everything at all times should be about me. That's the nature of man. And there's nothing godly in that. So what happens? Um, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So we have this sickness from birth, but God imparts his spirit in those he redeems. He implants his word into them. And as Christians, we ought to be quick to hear the word, slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to, to be quick to hear this word because only Christians can really understand and interact with God through his word. We're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We are to actively work to put to death the wickedness in our lives. So we'll be saved? No, because we are saved. 
Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the seeds of the body, you will live. So we, we put, to, put to death the seeds of the body. We receive with a humble heart this implanted word. Our lives as Christians are characterized by being trained up for righteousness. From the moment we come to Christ, first act of obedience is uh, baptism. We don't do that so we can be saved, but we do that because the Lord did that. And he said this is, this is the first act of obedience. This is how you identify with me. And from there, we, we begin to learn the word of God. We begin to, to learn to pray. We begin to learn to study. We begin to learn to share the gospel. And we continue to be trained in righteousness for our lives. We're being trained for what comes next. In our, in our, in our redeemed, glorified bodies when we were before Christ, we are to be righteous. We are to be holy. We're receiving training now. We're chasing after Christ and we're putting our old flesh, our old dead, the old man behind us. Our desire should be to serve God to the fullest in this life. And that's, that's what this training is for. That's what the fruit of this training is. And that is what, that's why we're to humbly and meekly receive this implanted word. What we want to have in us is not an ugly, angry, unrighteous spirit. What we want to have is a meek, humble heart that loves God. Luke six forty five says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the treasure of his evil um, out of the, his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What comes out of us indicates what's inside of us. So we we take this word, we take this imparted word that is offered to us and we handle it very carefully. We listen very carefully. We make sure that we don't impede this word coming into us by waiting to speak and to say our own thing. We make sure that this seed has fertile soil to be planted in. Not an angry soil, not a, a, a rocky soil, but a good soil that when the word comes, that it will produce righteousness. That when it grows, it will be evident to other people that there is something different. And that people will, that we will have the opportunity to explain to people what it is, what's our reason for our joy. So if you are, are a Christian today and you, you hear this message, the admonition for us is we want to have godly speech. We want to act, speak according to what Christ would have us do. We want to speak with righteousness. We want to speak with justice. We want to speak with kindness, mercy, gentleness, self-control peace, patience, all these things. Those things can't come out of us if they aren't in us. So we need to be open to this word that's, that's imparted to us. We need to 
put aside our de- our deadness. We need to put aside our flesh. We need to strive for the things that are that are good, that are righteous, knowing that our righteousness comes from God. And if we're here today, and we're hearing this, and you and you aren't a Christian, if you don't desire the kingdom of God to come, if you aren't interested in the things of God, if you aren't interested in the word of God, if you aren't interested in his kingdom, what is your plan? When you go after your life is over to stand before God and to give an account for everything that you've done in your life, what will you say? What will, what excuse do you have prepared to give to God? None will be heard. When we pass from this life to the next, our account must be settled. Payment must be made for every single sin we have ever committed. If I had a legal pad in front of me, I I would fill the first page with sin just from today. If I knew everything. We sin without knowing. There's there are deep sins in our lives that 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 we aren't even aware of because we aren't prepared to deal with them. So if you come before God on the merit of your own righteousness, you will be weighed, measured, and found lacking. It's impossible for us to pay the debt of our sin. We have no righteousness of our own. When we come and say, this is the insurmountable debt of your your sin. It has to be paid for by righteousness. We have none. Our account balance is zero apart from Christ. We are we have nothing we can say before God. If you find yourself in this position, I implore you to fall on the mercy of God. Cry out to God. Beg for salvation. Cry out and plead to have your sin covered by the righteousness of Christ. We can't be with God without righteousness. With unrighteousness, we can't be with God. And since we have none of our own, we rely on the righteousness of Christ. There was at Calvary a great exchange made. Our sin was exchanged for Christ's righteousness. Can you even fathom how bad of a trade that seems like for God and how good of a trade it is for us? So if you're here and you don't know Christ, as my friend Daniel Aker says, look to Jesus. Look to God, cry out to God and ask to be saved and you will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, none of us have any righteousness of our own. Father, we we rely fully on Christ and His righteousness for salvation. And Lord, we ask that... uh, 
for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we would heed this warning, this message that we need to listen. We need to digest these good things that you bring to us, that your word that that fills us, your word that changes us, your word that bring, builds in us a righteousness that's acceptable to you. Let us hear that word. Let us shut our mouths and lay aside our unrighteousness. Father, we desire this to come into our lives. And Lord, if there are any who haven't been redeemed, I pray that they would come today, that they would fall on your mercy and they would know the goodness of a God who loves his people and makes a way for them to be saved despite their rebellion. As we close our time together this morning, we ask that you um, would bless us this week, that we could go, we could take your gospel to all corners, that you would bless us today, that we would find any festering root of sinfulness in our lives and we would dig it out and that uh, we would put to death any of those things. And we ask that uh, you would uh, help us this week to love you better, follow you more closely, and uh, to be your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.